We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to a live edition of the Brooklyn Buzz. We are back after 10 days since our last episode, ready to talk Nets. Jack, how we doing? It's good to be back. Good to be buzzing. It's going to be a, a buzzing off season. Yes. And there's going to be a ton to talk about. I mean, it has been the off season for less than two weeks and all of a sudden there's already story points to talk about. But today, before we get into some of the topics, talk about our favorite moments of the season. And before that, quick reminder, iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, YouTube, and Dash Radio. But Jack, get us started with the top 10 moments of your five and then I'll do my five in between. We'll go back and forth. Yep, so uh, my first one, probably my favorite moment from the season was uh, D'Lo's Sacramento Kings takeover, uh, that 27-point comeback. D'Angelo Russell, I'm built for this shit. I mean, I remember buzzing after with you and Will, and I don't think I've been more hyped in my life after some sporting event. Yeah, I'll be honest. I remember messaging Will during the game. I'm like, hey, if this keeps going this way, we're probably not going to do a buzz because it's probably going to be a blowout. And Ended up probably being the, maybe the best moment of the season. It was just incredible. Uh, D'Angelo being amazing that fourth quarter. The lineup they played, Kenny adjusting to that team, and just they kept doing the right thing, fighting in that game, and then Rondé getting the game winner. Just really fun feeling, and one of the best Nets games probably in the last couple of years or maybe since they've even been in Brooklyn. Yeah, and I think that it was just insane in so many ways, from Rondé with the game winner to just the incremental comeback. It was just bit by bit, and I'm like, hmm. And I remember getting off work, and I'm like, okay, I might watch the, the rest of this. We're coming back a little bit here. I remember keeping an eye on whenever I'm at work, I'll always have you know the box score open and just keeping an eye, chatting to you in the DMs whenever possible. But it was it was impossible. And it was also um, our dude, Greg Logan of uh, Newsday, his best moment of the season. He said the Kings comeback was historic, unbelievable to watch. But he actually says 
Uh, the best game of the year was the overtime win at Houston, where the Nets overcame the deficit in the final minutes. And three didn't win any threes in the final seconds of regulation to tie were off the charts. Cheers for the uh, comment on that, Greg. Yeah, and uh, that was actually my uh, one of my moments, the Houston game. So obviously Sacramento game was amazing, the comeback. I'd probably say it was a little bit bigger, but the fact is that Dinwiddie did it so quick and it's just like he needed to hit this shot, this shot, and this shot. And Houston felt like they were going to win. And James Harden, what, had like 50 in that game. And he was during his like tear of the MP- MVP run he was trying to make. I, it's just crazy to have two of those comebacks in the same season. Yeah, and, and I think it speaks volumes to, you know, if we didn't make the playoffs, you know, I think that these wins probably would have been a, a little bit hollow in ways. Um, but the fact that they meant something in the grand scheme of things. We don't have those two wins. We're not in the playoffs. True. So... It, and I think that it's just insane uh, the fact that we were able to come back in, in that sort of stretch. But um, it, it, they were both absolutely amazing performances. And you know, you know, if you want to relive it, you know, obviously we've done some buzzes on those on those both of those games. Um, you know, find them on Blog Talk and and and, and iTunes as well. But um, which one would you rank higher? Greg had the Houston one higher. I had the mm. Sacramento Kings one higher. What one do you have higher? I think the Sacramento one is higher, not only just because of comeback, but because it's closer to the postseason, and you know you need that game, especially on the West Coast trip where the Houston game, yeah, they needed every win they got, like you mentioned. But I think you could be like, all right, well, we could have just won another game down the line somewhere. We needed a little bit more. Where that, you know, Sacramento game, that was at a time where you really needed a win. Exactly, exactly. Um, my next one, Nick, was uh, Dinwiddie and D'Lo taking over Orlando. What were your thoughts on that game? Love that one. That's a big one too. And I think in a way it almost has more value than the Houston one because it's against an Orlando team that you're competing with for a playoff spot and ultimately helped you get that tiebreaker. And it was a great moment to see Dinwiddie and D'Lo both have clutch moments in the same game. Yeah, and it was it was something that we've been sort of crying out for. And it was when a comeback the- too. Yeah, it was like, when is the chemistry going to come? When are these two going to play well at the same time? And it happened at the most perfect opportune time against the the team that we were sort of battling out. Um, a team who had a very similar season to us. And, you know, I, I like the Orlando Magic as well. But um, it was such a great win. Um, and probably probably third on the list for me, maybe mm-hmm. fourth. Um, but, you know, it might have probably been fourth because one of your moments um, just beating the Knicks, you know, in, in, in an emphatic fashion for me with the Levert game winner. Sorry to steal it from you, uh, but just, just leading into it, just leading into it. Yeah, you got the segue. I mean, I think it's a way to start the season after the Detroit loss, you know, first home game of the year against the Knicks, a crosstown rival in a game where it was really a breakout game for Karis Levert. He played well against Detroit, but in that game against the Knicks, he just dominated. He dominated that fourth quarter, and he went got the one-on-one against, you know, a guy he knows very well being a, you know, former Michigan guy. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. going against him, getting the bucket. And I love the part after the game. And I think, you know, Lavert has mentioned this on the Woj podcast. He said to Kenny, I kind of owed you one. And he went out and did it. Yeah, because I think it was a game against Detroit earlier yep. where he sort of had that opportunity. Um, we'll get to a couple of comments. Captain Marvelous, a sensational name, by the way. Um, he says that this is the best uh, season in Brooklyn by far. 13-14 was nice, but the failure to meet expectations and a less likable team kept it lower. Um, the five-game run in January that year was nice, especially the win over the Heat with the nickname jerseys. Um, some some nice comments from Captain Marvelous. And, and again, I'm going to hype up this dude because he has an awesome name and nice avatar. 
Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I think this team was very likable, and that's not something you can necessarily say. You know, that KG and Paul Pierce team, it felt like it was bought. It was a lot of superstars coming here. The chemistry wasn't great. There wasn't really as much of a positive vibe. We talked about on our uh, recent podcast with the X interviews, how the guys like Theo Pinson, Alan Williams, you know, Musa, the guys on the bench just create a likability about this team, and that other Brooklyn team in 13-14 did not have it. And it's just like your homegrown guys. You know, we saw Spencer make a jump, D'Lo make a jump, Joe Harris, Jared Allen, Rodion's is very lovable. Just a lot. Of, you just love so many players in this team. Yeah, and Crazy Dean, obviously, uh, a, a very loyal listener of yours. Um, he liked again. You'll probably like this, Nicholas. The significance of seeing Levert first game back off after that horrific injury. No one has actually said that. You know, there have been moments about you know game winners and stuff, but um, the fact that he was just able to be back and just provide that energy, I think that you know it was it was probably if not your one of your best moments, it was certainly up there. Yeah, it was definitely an honorable mention for me. I considered putting it in there, but there's just so many great moments, and it's a positive. I also love the fan reaction for Levert coming back, his teammates, and just, you know, the fact is when we saw the injury, we didn't even think he would be back this year, or maybe we didn't think we would even be back, you know, until halfway the next year. We certainly didn't expect him to be back dominating playoff games. Yeah. And, you know, there was obviously the the bobblehead night where he wasn't – he didn't score. Funnily enough, the, the thing that was most savage about that night was when it was trending – and they had Levert's bobblehead, and they just said, Brooklyn Nets player fails <laughs> to score on bobblehead. And I'm just like, just say Karis Levert, please. Yeah. That was it was like... disrespectful, and I feel like, you know, it's a little bit of a chip. Karis doesn't necessarily show the chip, but I definitely think it's something that's like, all right, you know, you guys can't even say my name, and I just played like trash. I also felt like, yo, they like really went at him because I want to say Rondé had a bobblehead night, and he didn't even really do anything either, so. Exactly, exactly. I've kept the marvelous jumped in again, Nick. Better moment of the season, the LeBron block game or the Hornets win on D'Lo's birthday? Mm. I was in the air for the Hornets win, and I had, to, I, listened, I had to recap it on the buzz listening to you as soon as I landed in LA. So um, I'm going to let you answer this one because I'll probably go with LeBron block because, you know, the just the the event that comes with the Lakers and LeBron in town and Jared Allen putting him on his list, sort of like Aya has done over the years <laughs> of Game of Thrones, um, was just insane. And it's going to go down as one of the, his probably best moments of his young career. And the fact that LeBron was just like, I'm 30, man. Oh, I didn't even know. It's like, dude, shut up. And yeah. then like, I love LeBron at the same time. He's one of my favorite, he is my favorite player ever. Um, but uh, what, what were your thoughts on the Hornets game as well before I guess you'd make your pick? I will correct them. It was not D'Angelo's birthday. D'Angelo's birthday, I believe, was actually your moment or the one for the Orlando game. That was his birthday when they hit the game winner. Yeah. But uh, the Hornets game was crazy. That's where Damari had like this crazy – drew a foul from Kemba Walker at like before the half-court line. But I think the Jared Allen block was more significant because that game was probably one of the most hyped-up games for the Nets because they were on the win streak. Lakers are coming in town, and at that point they are playing well in the block at the time, arguably the best player in the league on a dunk attempt that, what was it, seven or eight players have ever done before. Yeah, Jared yeah. Allen did that, and it wasn't a foul. It was perfectly clean, and he's just kind of kept adding to his list. And I think that helped him throughout the season put fear in other players. Like, yo, this dude just blocked LeBron. He's blocked Giannis. He's blocked AD. Like, I'm not going at him. No, exactly. And I think that the the mere presence of a guy like him, Rudy Gobert, is, is something that, you know, I'll, I'll puts the fear in a, in a lot of players when it comes to driving into the lane. So, um, it was certainly one of the best moments of the season. was very close to making our list. Um, I had making the playoffs. I think that it's probably one of the most obvious yeah, ones yeah. Um, and was probably everyone's highlights. And it was something that no one expected. We spoke about it on our exit interview pod. 
Um, no one expected it to happen. You know, um, I didn't expect it. I had us at about 34 to 36 wins. Um, I think I had, I think I covered my bases. I think I did different predictions in different places on, like <laughs> J, on JBT, Nets Republic, and then, then, then the buzz and then OTG, uh, just so I could cover myself in, in enough. So the fact that we made it surprised me uh, in the most positive and awesome way. I was a little more optimistic than you, but in the win total, I did not expect 42. I expected they make the playoffs. It was going to be like 40 or 41 wins. That was my best case scenario when we did, you know, the preview of the season on the outlet. So the fact is, I mean, making the playoffs and getting the sixth seed and the fashion was the fact is they did it before the season ended. It wasn't even the last game of the year where it easily could have been against Miami to fight for the playoffs. They did it against the Pacers, making the postseason, just excellent feeling and being back into the postseason, even though it really wasn't that long. It felt like it's been forever because of the lack of draft picks and the Billy King trade and all that. Yeah, time flies when you're having fun, and we weren't <laughs> having fun as Nets fans for, for a little while there. But uh, Crazy Dean's jumped in again. Um, I guess relating to, to the sort of postseason and season overall, favorite vet player, Jared Dudley or Damari Carroll? You take this one first. This is a tough one, to be honest. Um, I want to go with Dudley just because yeah. I fell in love with him in the playoffs. It was yeah. just so much fun to hear him trolling Ben Simmons, to outplay him in a half. And just to hear Sixers fans so salty about a guy who is like playing 20 minutes a night and is, you know, in that first game was probably a key reason why we won the game. But to see them so salty about a guy who, you know, isn't, you know, a superstar in any stretch of the imagination. His best is behind him. He's a role player. He's a vet. And I think that, you know, Jared Dudley just endeared himself to not just NBA fans and not just Nets fans, but NBA fans are all about it. And, you know, we love the feud. We love the social media interaction. The, so, the the Night King meme of him was amazing. Just Jared Dudley. It was just, it was a wonderful time to be a Nets fan. And, you know, I like that he stuck up for our boy Jared Allen after Joel Embiid, the, the, world, the world's ultimate troll did his thing. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm all in on Duds, but that's not to say I didn't love Damari. I think it was, you know, Damari we already had here. So we already got the full experience. Going to the year, Dudley, you really, we talked about it early in the year doing our player preview of him. Didn't really expect much other than being the veteran president, mostly off the court, but he was on the court. And the fact he played such a big impact in the playoffs was amazing with his dad bod. And he was really underneath all the player skin. So like you, you pretty much touched on it all. I think Dudley probably for this year, but overall, Damari's had a bigger impact on the overall culture of the Nets. And I will say one of my favorite moments of the season as well wasn't in either of our top fives was Damari in that Cleveland OT game. Oh. That dagger three. So I was just like, dude, like that was and also at the same time. He, he, he said to D'Lo, you know, you know, we need you right now. You're an all-star step up. And the fact that he put it on D'Lo, D'Lo stepped up in the OTs as well. Um, that was one of the, Probably underrated good moments of the season. It was such a great season, but yeah, Damari had plenty of great moments despite having a, a lackluster playoffs. Yeah, no, that that overtime game was huge, and it was kind of a good moment for the Nets just fighting through that and getting the win before the All Star break to kind of carry some positive momentum. Yeah, exactly. Um, Nick, next uh, next moment uh, from you. Let's see what I got. All right, so we already did Lavert's game winner against the Knicks. Allen's block we kind of already touched on against Jerry uh, against LeBron James, Giannis. Favorite AD. one. What was your favorite one out of all those? Oh, LeBron. I think yeah. it just the significance of blocking LeBron is just huge. You know, the Blake he, ones were great though. Like the, yeah. the, the the fact that he like against probably one of the best dunkers of our generation. And yes, he's lost a step, but he had an awesome season. You know, massive shout out to Blake Griffin um, and what he's doing in Detroit. But doing it twice and then against Giannis as well. Like that's the, probably three of the most athletic, strong, ridiculously talented power forwards we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, against like going against Giannis is incredibly difficult. I think that's probably the most difficult one. I think the only one the reason LeBron won is just you're going to get the most hype. Like even when he blocked AD, he didn't really get much hype. The Giannis one, he got a little bit more hype. I also thought the James Harden one was kind of underrated too. When James Harden tried to throw a poster on him, he's like, nah, not so fast, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> he's. Uh, I love the fact that now he's got like a thing. And also the fact that his like success, Success as being a blocker has made Knicks fans salty so about mad. Mitchell Robinson. It's anything that was like, oh, the Nets can't have success. We have to compare it back to the Knicks. And uh, I mean, I'm one of the people that's just like, why can't we just have nice things? Why can't we appreciate both? Mitchell Robinson is, is a stud and is going to be great as well. But like, you know, and this budding rivalry, if you know the Knicks get someone, be it KD or whoever, there could be a nice rivalry again going forward. But uh, Captain Marvels has jumped in again, Nick. Which impressed you more? Delo's sustained elevation of his game or Levert's short burst of star play? Obviously, the short burst in relation to the fact that he wasn't as healthy as Delo was this season. Yeah, I think um, the bigger surprise... Good question. Yeah, uh, it's, I think I expected a jump from Levert, but I didn't expect the jump he made. Like, he made a jump to pretty much all-star level if he stays healthy. Delo, he literally played it close to an all-star level at the beginning of last season before he got injured, so it wasn't quite as surprising. And I think what kind of gave Levert an edge in my eyes was the fact he was so dominant in the player playoffs. We're talking about one of the best ISO scores in the first round of the postseason for a guy that's coming off a dislocated ankle. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it was, uh, I believe it was an ankle, um, dislocated ankle, he said. And I remember on the Woj pod, he was sort of saying that, you know, they were telling him he was on pain meds and he was, he had no idea what was going on. But he's like, you're going to be okay. There's no like structural damage to your leg or whatever. So obviously it was still an incredibly horrific injury. And, All those you know, prayers that we made paid off. That's the whole thing. They certainly <laughs> did. But I'll go with um, the other side of the foot. Um, funnily enough, Delo sustained elevation of his game. Um, he's you shouldn't laugh at that. <laughs> we can, the fact that we've gotten through it and the fact that Levert's gone through it, we can literally, <laughs> when you look back, you can always laugh. And that's always a, a positive sign. But Delo sustained elevation of his game. I think, he continues to get, you know, plenty of guff from Nets Twitter, from uh, outside of Nets Twitter, especially from just NBA pundits in general. But you can't deny that he has been an incredibly tremendous shooter and scorer in the latter parts of game. And you, he's elevated himself. He's earned the reputation of being the ice in his veins. And, you know, he's the sustained elevation. The fact that he's done that for such a prolonged period Yes, he's been in and out of games at times and we want him to start games as he finishes them and the playoff experience leaves a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth. But at the same time, you can't not look at the how good he was in, in the regular season because James Hard's also been pretty trash in the postseason as well. There aren't many great players that can do it consistently at the highest level. You know, you got your Kevin Durant, you know, LeBron right. James's, Kawhi, Damian Lillard, you know, Nicole Jokic has been absolutely awesome and as well. And Damian even had a rough game last night. He did. So, I mean, and Kyrie has been had his rough games as well. So, um, I'm going to go to with DLS Sustained Elevation because I said that uh, in the Hot Take Marathon, which will be coming back soon. I'm looking forward to that. Um, that D-Lo would make an all-star team, and he proved me right. Yeah, you know, it was good. You had a couple good hot takes. A couple, I did. You know, a couple takes. horrible <laughs> hot, hot takes as well, and I will blame hey. my, my co-host Nick Busing for that. Yeah, you shoot your shot. That's all that matters, right? Like, you're not going to exactly. hit them all. So, I think also D'Angelo, some of his, like, some of the moments we won't talk about, just some of the stretches he had in the third quarter, specifically against that Boston team, like something against Boston. And it almost feels like if they got a match against Boston, he has a better series than against Philadelphia because of, you know, the size and physicality Philly has. Yeah. Um, Nick, I said making the playoffs. You said game one. 
yes. I guess we we're to talk about that just experience individually as a collective, and then just it was a the- it was a collective experience because we were together. I think yeah. that almost made it even better. Like we got to watch the- yeah, Corey was there just like watching us be crazy. I, t- <laughs> <laughs> I tweeted out something yesterday. It was like me watching Nets game, Crazy Hulk. Me watching other teams, Professor Hulk. Like that's really how it was. Like we yeah. were wild. It was awesome. The experience was great, and it gave you some maybe some irrational hope that hey, we could win this series. And Bead wasn't looking healthy. We saw you know our three stars or whatever you want to call them in D'Angelo, Avert, and Dinwiddie all have great moments in that game, and it was just like it was a really happy day. And I think you couldn't really ask for anything more. Like, even though they lost the series and it didn't go well, like you take away that really positive game. Yeah. It was one of the more positive experiences that I've just ever had as a Nets fan is to be in the same room as you and Corey, OTG elite watching, you know, playoff basketball, our team do it on a stage where we didn't necessarily expect it. We were mildly confident. I remember in the car at over from you picking me up from the station. I'm like, look, there's no expectation on us. And I think that that and sort of broke... had the question mark going in and it was the first game of the playoffs too. Yep. So, I mean, the, the, the bright lights were on the stage was set and then we just made the impact. It was too bad. We couldn't bring that form in for the rest of the series, but um, it was, it, it, it was awesome, you know, not just for the game, but for the experience overall, um, being able to experience it with you. And then the game itself was just probably one of the, the performances of the season against, you know, and, and I think, Coach Kenny's best coaching performance of the season, low key. Yeah, they came out really prepared and dominant. And the players for a team that's never, you know, had a lot of guys who've never been to the postseason, they come out and play that way. And that was probably their best game in terms of like they played well in every quarter where they really didn't have a bad quarter. And that's what hurt them the rest of the series. They couldn't put together the full package. So, I mean, I'll remember that game for a while. Then we might look back at it as, hey, this is like the first stepping stone for the Nets becoming a contender, or this is the beginning of maybe a dynasty or something because this is a first playoff game, a lot of experience. Then the series left a bad taste in the player's mouth. Yeah, Nick, we've got some questions, but I think we go through the um, the rest of our moments before we get to them because it's um, in relation to Alan Crabb. Okay, so I got Karis LeVert's game winner against Denver. That was wow. a really big moment. You know, it was the first, like, win against a really good team because at that time, Denver had maybe the best record in the NBA. They lost maybe one home game. Uh, The Nets were fighting in that game, and Karras was going against Gary Harris. He already had hit the game winner against the Knicks, and he was kind of our guy. I think that gave you some different confidence for the season being a team like that on the road. Yeah, it really did, and it was just further imprint on Karras LeVert as being one of the up-and-coming stars, and you know he continued to prove that when he came back from injury. But at that point, you know he was leading the most approved player conversation. If he had stayed healthy, uh, I think that you know I mean D'Angelo Russell's now in their conversation as well, probably second or third uh, in that department. But if if Karis LeVert stayed healthy, who knows what would have happened? But um, all positive things. Um, my last two was the Toronto win after the losing streak and Huge. All-Star weekends. Yeah, Toronto won, obviously, that was the game changer for getting the season back on track. And another win against, that's like two of the best wins of the season right there in terms of beating elite teams. I felt really good about that one. You felt a lot of team effort in that game. And then All-Star Weekend, which is pure fun. Like, when's the last time you got to enjoy, I mean, Dinwiddie won skills challenge last year, but you got to enjoy like so many Nets players at every event. Joe Harris, my boy, holding (laughs) up the... It's now the number, I'm pretty sure it's the number, like there's like five different gifts of him just holding up the championship trophy, <laughs> which is which is pretty fun. But um, I did say on the exit interview, Buzz, that I would say what D'Angelo's best moments of the season were. Um, he said, I would say that Sacramento game was crazy. I've been on the other end of being up like that and talking trash to a player or something and telling them that the game is over, it's over. The start of the fourth, it's over. There's no way you guys are going to win. And the player looked at me like, yeah, all right. 
I've been on that end. So for me to be on the other end and players talking to me like that, and I'm the player that's like, yeah, all right, we'll see. It just brings chills to me. I just remember being in that position and a young player at that <clears throat> that game. There's so many. I just surprised myself individually. The it was an icy game, ass game. <laughs> oh, it was so icy. So damn icy. He's built for this shit. Uh, the Cleveland game going into the All-Star break. Charlotte game, the birthday thing. That Orlando game was pretty sick. At the end of the game, I'm still a fan of good basketball players. So he's talking about Dame Lillard and all these other guys. Um, so he was just it's some great mold, role, some great moments from the season from D'Lo. And he, he saw some of our moments. Yeah, he did. And I mean, I think it says a lot, obviously. I think the Cleveland game says a lot about him too, because it wasn't a great game. He was actually pretty bad for most of the game in terms of shooting, but he picked it up in overtime in the triple OT where it really mattered the most. He stepped up. Uh, Nick, shall we get to the Alan Crab news and uh, yeah. Ader SL, what will they do with Crab? What will they do? The million dollar or $19 million question, I guess it is now. Yeah, uh, it's a great question. I think ideally you really do look mo- look to move Crab. You know, part of it is health. Part of it is the production hasn't really been there for him to be 18 million. And the fact is you're looking to take that next step and you could really use that 18 million. And it happens to be a year you have three draft picks. You know, you have the extra asset to make the move to possibly move him on. There are a couple teams out there that could take him. Yeah, I mean, I I said on the exit interview, Paz, and I'll repeat it, that I'm not the biggest fan of attaching assets to a, a, a bad move that you made. You sort of said, you know, you know, there's no use crying over spilt milk. I get that as well, but I mean... And, it's probably narrow-minded to me to say, just don't make that bad move in the first place and you have to live with it. Um, but I'm more positive about it in the sense that this is a weaker draft. You know, we didn't get super-duper lucky in the lottery. We didn't get like 15 or higher. Um, so for me, I sort of, you know, and with the the lack of elite talent in that sort of department, I don't think that we will we would be likely to get a Carol Savert or a Jared Allen. I'd be confident in whoever we were to get because I doubt... I hope we'd maybe we'll trade the 17th pick. Maybe we'll trade the 27th or the 31st. I have no idea, but maybe we package the 27th and the 31st. Um, but we will see. Um, I think so- that's the most likely scenario is packaging 27 and 31. I think 17 might be a lot. They might have to do it if they can't get anything to move. And I almost feel like they're forced to do it in a sense because, like, it go. It's a big change in your off season. It's not like you're going from having one max spot and retaining D'Angelo and then maybe adding some good players. Like you can retain D'Angelo and now you can add an elite talent. And it's not just like, okay, a top 15, top 25 guy. We're talking top five, KD, Kawhi Leonard, some of the best players, some all-time greats. Yeah, and I think that the Nets have the luxury of being able to change tack as well. There's been some talk about um, whether the, the the Nets just make a trade with the Cleveland Cavaliers and, and, and get a J.R. Smith and sort of, trade a, a bad contract or a, a really bad contract for just a bad contract um, his contract's only partially guaranteed i think it's only like four million so you're still coming out with 14 mil what do you think of that sort of scenario it's sort of been brought up a little bit i know some fans are uh, sort of open to it and some fans and pundits are just like well jr smith is borderline unplayable these days i think a lot of fans don't understand that it's a partially guaranteed contract if i had to make a quick guess on it the fact is that it would save the Nets a lot more money than they think. And I also think- I'll check it. I'll check it, actually, because I know there's an article somewhere. You keep, keep going. Yeah. And I, I'm not, I understand the fact is Sean Marks has no issue at all waving a player. J.R. Smith wants to kind of be, you know, J.R. Smith and not really, you know, pertain to what the team wants him to do. They'll cut him or they don't think he has a role in the team moving forward. They'll cut him. They don't care. Like, it's about the big picture. Four million in one offseason isn't that big a deal, especially allows them to maybe keep the higher draft pick of the two if they get to keep 17. And then crab, whatever. And also, I'll say this about crab. 
as bad as the trade is taking the contract, I think it did still have some impact in terms of building up the Nets team. Like they don't win 28 games last year without Crab. And I think it's a gradual thing where they need to make a step each year. So I don't think the Crab move is completely terrible. Like I still think it had some positive impact. And I also think some of it just Crab dealt with injuries and was never really healthy his whole time here. Yeah, and Sean Marks only bad move. Obviously, he gets plenty of credit, but it was a bad move. Um, yeah. and and Sean Marks needs to sort of uh, remedy that in some sort of aspect. Um, if he I'm, got a draft pick with it, I feel like it wouldn't be as bad. Even if it was like a yeah. high second, it would be like, all right, you took a salary dump. It's a little bit longer than you want, but you gained a second round pick. Yeah, and, and I'm, I for one, I don't know why I'm still somewhat in on Alan Crab. Maybe it's partly due to the timing of it. Well, it was a, a seminal moment in my life, and I was moving over to London, that sort of thing. But uh, in relation to the salary, um, he signed his contract, and this is via Nets Daily. He signed his current contract under the old CBA. So for trade purposes, it counts as $15.7 million. But if he's waived by June 30, the salary would count as only $3.6 million guaranteed. So you, you're incredibly right in, in what you were saying earlier, Nick. Yeah, and that's a that's a huge deal. Like three point six mil in the big picture really doesn't matter. And like hypothetically, they could open up three point six mil. I don't know if they'd want to do this in cutting like Trevion Graham and Shabazz Napier, who are have non guaranteed contracts or a team option on that. So there you open up the other three mil if you have to, which they don't even necessarily have to do, depending on how D'Angelo's contract you know falls out. Exactly. Um, and in relation to that, should we get to some free agency chatter? Yeah, the poll has been going crazy. If you want to start with that. Let's go with your poll, my friend. We'll get there's plenty of polls going around. It's poll season. Um, it's funny enough, you know, politics season here in, in Melbourne and, and Australia as well. So maybe it relates to that. Who knows? Voting is important. Get out there, even if it's just Twitter. Um, so eight hours ago, I tweeted, who would you rather see the Nets? What would you rather see the Nets do? Sign Kyrie Irving or re-sign D'Angelo Russell? So when we initially chatted, this was at 135. And uh, D'Angelo was in the lead like 60 to 40. Currently, it's... Kyrie is in the lead 53 to 47. Oh, and it's at 314 was... votes. So it's almost, it's more than doubled votes since the last time we checked it out. Vote or die, as Diddy said, vote or die. Um, <laughs> what if you did you? I mean, I don't, can you vote in your own polls? No, but I can vote on the OTG account. I want to. <laughs> what would you vote for if you, when you log into the OTG account? So, I think this is like a multi-level question and that's why polls are so fun because you have to make someone decide on it even though you're not getting like the full explanation. If like, let's say Kyrie's like, all right, I'm coming and then Katie's coming with me, then it's kind of automatic. Like as much as you love D'Angelo, when you add two players, you know, Kevin Durant arguably being the best player in the NBA, Kyrie being top 15, top 20, whatever you want to call him, you go from being a playoff team to instantly contending. Like you go at a chance of being in the finals and you don't necessarily get that opportunity a lot. And it's just like something I don't think that you could pass up. And we've talked about this. KD's game, even though he's 30, I think he'll gracefully age because he's such a good huger, huger, shooter. shooter, And he's got like a physical body in terms of like he's just going to be a mismatch. And it's not because of his athleticism. It's because he's seven feet and he can handle the ball and shoot over anybody. And then Kyrie, like there's a little bit of risk. But the fact is you have KD and then you have Spencer and Karras as really good guys that can run the show if Kyrie were to get hurt. So I think that. If you were to get both guys, it would lock you in. If you're just going between the two, it's like, do I just sign Kyrie or re-sign D'Angelo? I think it's easier to lean towards D'Angelo, but if Kyrie means KD, you sign Kyrie. Yeah, and I'm going to steal a little bit from Bill Simmons here, but if it is purely one of them, it's D'Angelo because of um, mostly positive health and age, um, whereas Kyrie has cheaper as well. Uh, And in that sort of instance, um, on his most recent episode, he spoke about Kevin Durant and the fact that Durant has showed since going to and basically being on Oklahoma City since being with the Golden State Warriors 
He doesn't have to be the guy. He mm. can easily take a backseat role and still remain hugely effective. He doesn't have to be, you know, the Alpha and Omega like a LeBron James and, and, and other superstars. He can sort of take a minor backseat and still be incredibly effective. So if he's with Kyrie, I think that, or if he's with D'Angelo or whoever it is, you know, KD is just a, an absolute stud. Um, and yeah. I think, like you said, he's going to age tremendously well for however long he wants to play. He said he wants to play till 35. He could play till he's 40. Yeah, he definitely could, especially if he wants to just shoot and he wants to go in the corner. He could be playing, you know, power forward and being fine. I think you look at it too is if you get Kyrie and KD, the rest of your roster you don't even have to worry about because you already have good players in terms of your core, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, Rodions, Joe Harris. Now you're attracting all the high-level veterans that are just looking to contend because you have two superstars on your team and maybe another possible all-star and then a guy who's kind of on the way to becoming a fringe all-star and then maybe you're Clint Capella and Jared Allen. So there's just so many keys to this team that it would it really makes a lot of sense for some two guys to sign with Brooklyn. If the Nets get Kyrie and KD, I think we're the best team in the East. Agreed? Yeah, because yeah, you take a lot away from Boston. Boston now doesn't have the depth because they don't have Kyrie. They're less likely to make the AD trade. You look at Philadelphia, there's almost a guarantee they're probably losing one of those guys. So that hurts them. Their roster uh, fit isn't necessarily great anyways. And even if they're not losing one of Tobias or Butler, they're probably losing J.J. Redick, which is going to kill their spacing. The Bucks are the only team that still has the argument, but they're also going to have a hard time retaining their players. You know what I mean? Yeah. They have Chris Middleton, they have Malcolm Brogdon, they have Brooke Lopez. Brooke's going to get a major pay jump. And then you already know Toronto's not ascending. Like Siakam's going to improve. Kawhi might be a little bit better if he stays. Kyle Lowry's not getting better. Marcus Gasol's not getting better. Their bench is a lot weaker than it was before the Gasol trade. Definitely. Um, we'll go to another poll before we get to mine, I guess. Um, Flatbush and Atlantic said that's poll time. Two max slots. Who do you have? Delo KD, Delo Kawhi, Delo Kyrie, or KD and Kyrie? Um, who would you vote for? Oh God, this is like this is like picking and choosing. Like, oh, what's, <laughs> I'm going to get a different luxury car, but I don't know which one I'm going to get. Um, yeah, this is really tough. Part of me is just like I think like as a human, you just naturally want things to happen fast. So like, if they get Kyrie and KD, you're instantly yeah. contenders. So it's like just do it. Like Kyrie and KD, just do it. Like you could be competing for a championship next year. Where all the other packages, maybe you sign KD, you can contend. Maybe you sign Ka uh, Kawhi, you can contend. There's no guarantee. But if you get Kyrie and KD and everyone ma maintains health and the other guys improve, you're a contender for an NBA championship, which hasn't happened for the Nets since the early 2000s. Exactly. And funnily enough, uh, the one that led the vote or is leading the vote is D'Lo and KD with 37%. KD and Kyrie is 36%. D'Lo and Kawhi is 26%, and D'Lo and Kyrie is 1%. I'll throw a different one in there because you can only do four. Kawhi and Kyrie. Yeah, probably. Probably the same thing. I'd probably put that over the other ones. I think you probably still go KD and uh, Kyrie because they have that relationship, so you know they're going to yeah. work well together. Kawhi, you're not really sure about. And if I had to rank a third one, I'd probably say maybe D'Angelo and Kawhi because you can grow a little bit more as a team. And there's not as much of a rush, but it's easy, easily could go D'Lo and KD. I mean, we're talking about two of the top five players. Like, what am I to decide <laughs> which guy I want? I'll take anybody. Same, same, same. Uh, in that relation as well, Nick, I had one uh, a little bit earlier in the week when uh, Anthony Puccio, who <clears throat> got slandered by some bums on CBS. And, and then that Nets Twitter came to back him up and just destroy them. So, hey, and let's be honest. Like, those guys don't know what they're talking about because Pooch wasn't the first one to report this. His report recently came out, but Woj has mentioned it all year long. Yep, and the fact that 
you know, and if you don't know who specific team leaders in that department, then you're doing yourself a disservice. And Anthony Puccio is probably one of the leaders in Nets news. So um, those guys are bums and scrubs. So, um, and in that article, he was obviously talking about big name players considering the Nets are free agency. So we're talking individual players here. So KD, Tobias, Kawhi, and Jimmy. The results, KD had 45% of the vote. Kawhi had 30% of the vote. 15% went to Tobias and 10% went to Jimmy. Um, how would you rank these players, Nick? I think that's pretty fairly ranked. Okay. Uh, like how the fans voted. I mean, you could make the argument for swapping Kawhi and KD, like I mentioned, because Kawhi's 27, KD's 30. Maybe there's a little bit more of a tie with Kawhi because of his relationship with Sean Marks and uh, Tiago Splitter, who's part of the Nets organization. So that's a possibility. And I think you might put Tobias third and Jimmy Butler fourth because Tobias doesn't really put pressure on you. And it's kind of like a growing thing where you're gradually taking steps where Jimmy Butler is going to improve you a lot, but long picture, how much is it going to help you? He's not going to be an elite player for more than like three or four years. Yeah. I think the point you either made on the last buzz or, or some sort of buzz or to me in, in passing was the fact that you're more likely to give Tobias a, a longer term deal because, you know, he still has youth on his side and you can build a little bit more, like you said, Whereas you can give a, a bit more money to Jimmy in the short term, like a three-year deal. I think that's his sort of prime. He's proven in this playoffs as well that he is a, he's a killer. He's a stone-cold yeah. killer. Uh, and I think that, you know, despite the fact that there might be some meshing fits, you know, you just get talent and you, and you see how it works at the end of the day. Um, obviously, you want talent within the right pay scale and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, KD would be insane um, because he is the best player in the NBA right now. Um, and I think that, you know, we'll be doing a top 50 with Corey later on and we'll be discussing that. We'll be putting out polls and, and, and plenty, but Kawhi has elevated himself in, in a way that it's just like, we forgot how good this guy is, how efficient he is. He's getting compared to freaking Michael Jordan. So Yeah, I mean, and Kawhi. his game really like reminds you of some of the stuff you see out there. And it's just like, I, I like I hate to do this, but like if you just imagine Kawhi on the Nets and then he was on the team against the Sixers in the first round, you almost feel with the way that Toronto's playing that the Nets would have almost had a better chance of beating them. I think still the biggest issue is Joel Embiid, but Kawhi on Brooklyn look, looks really well. And I think one thing about the playoffs that stuck out to me and it really hurt the Nets in that Sixer series, they don't have anybody that's an elite player at that three or four or anybody that can really compete with an elite player. You add a Kawhi or KD, you have somebody at that size that can really stop somebody and force them to have to defend you offensively. Yeah, and I think that if you have, you know, I'll, I'll throw out there Tobias uh, and Jimmy, you know, I think those two guys can play, Tobias can play even a little bit of four. Jimmy can play the three probably. Him, D'Lo, Karras, and Jimmy as a sort of, you know, one, two, three punch, I think it's pretty nice. Obviously, yeah. there's there's likely to be some sort of growing pains and everyone needs the Spacing ball in their hand. Spacing a little. Spacing a little bit, but Jimmy has proved that, you know, he can shoot it. And I think under coach Kenny system and under quality coaching, he can Dealer is a good shooter. Karras is going to be working on it and has looked a lot smoother in the playoffs and beyond. So I'm confident within that. If you have Joe Harris in a super small lineup as well, and then Jared Allen out there, then you know I think there's a lot of possibilities. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping that we do get a free agent. Um, but at the same time, I'm also intrigued to see what the backup plans are. You know, is it, you know, just um, taking on more money? Is it, you know, trying to look for these lesser light guys? Um, the free agency buzz and, you know, pardon my pun, is going to be ongoing and we'll be doing plenty of episodes about it. And obviously, it's still the heart of the playoffs now, but I said on, on JVT to Nick, we brought it up in the Busy Manuel scale early in the season, that playoff results will heavily dictate what happens in free agency. And I think that it's likely to be the case. I mean, you look at the second round of the East, two of these teams are losing free agents because of the 
excuse me, the performance they're having. Is that Toronto losing to Philadelphia? Is that Philadelphia losing to Toronto? Or the Bucks and the Celtics, you know, going either way, you know? So there's just a lot of free agents. And you look at the other side, there's free agents as well. So there's just a lot going on. And also one thing I don't I think people are sleeping on, the Nets miss out on free agents. Do not be surprised if they make a big trade. Like I, that would not surprise me one way at, at all, especially if they still have the draft picks or they have the assets or they have the rookies and they have three guards. Like there's three very good guards. So maybe they re-signed D'Angelo Russell and they end up trading somebody else. Like there's a lot of possibilities. Sean Marks has mentioned the ABCD, you know, whatever it is, the plans keep going on. And forecast into your April a little bit for me, Nick. We've got, you know, we're looking forward. Um, we're not talking about what we want. We're talking about what seems likely. What do you think is the most likely outcome going through agency? I'm not saying that you can't change your mind, and I'll, I'll give my response as well. But what do you think is most likely? Does Dealer get re-signed? Do the Nets make a trade? Do the Nets get KD? Do the Nets get Kawhi? Do they sign Tobias Harris? Do they sign Jimmy Butler? What do you think happens in terms of likelihood and your prediction? I think what Pooch has reported, I think, is going to happen. I think they're going to get meetings with the top guys. And as we know, the top guys kind of determine what happens in free agency if you're a big player. Like, you're going to wait to make the other moves until you have your meetings. And I think the Nets are going to be a finalist for Kevin Durant. Like, I really believe that. And you're seeing guys that don't, like, support the Nets or are really big NBA guys, and they're coming from a rational perspective. I think the Nets will have a real chance to sign Kevin Durant or a real chance to sign Kawhi Leonard. I think going to the year, it was kind of a pipe dream or there was a small percentage chance. But seeing all the reports from a lot of guys that are well-respected in the league, the fact is the Nets have created a lot of hype about themselves in terms of the organization, the improvement, being a player's only thing, which we talked about on the exit interviews. They respect you, your family, let you do what you want to do, make sure your body's 100%. They don't put you in a box. Like, why would you not want to come to Brooklyn, especially if you're, you know, pegged on coming to New York? I think it's the better franchise. Maybe the Knicks could end up being better if they get Zion or something like that. But I really believe the Nets will be a finalist for the big stars. They might not get them, but they'll be a finalist in terms of like when they're, you know, you see Wojani Espan, he's like, he's got it down to the Clippers, the Nets are back to Golden State. Like they're going to be one of the teams that's in the finals. Yeah, I would probably rank them third or tied for third. I think that. Golden State and and the Knicks, the two sort of one two. I think that those are the most most likely outcomes, and I think the Clippers and the Nets are are, are a dead heat. Um, mm-hmm. I think both of them are incredibly similar in terms of what whatever KD sort of wants. You know, both of them have stable organizations, stable front offices, good talent, good role players. It's just does he want to live in New York or does he want to live in LA? Obviously, you don't necessarily live there. It's just where he more resides and obviously he has his business ventures uh, in new york and in and in um uh, midtown and in manhattan so read into that what you will Kawhi's bought a house in in la but he has also lived there for his entire life um so in terms of my prediction i think that dealer gets re-signed i think that's incredibly likely Woj has reported that and we will get to the the weed thing to <laughs> stephen a smith um so i think that the dealer re-signing is imminent don't know how imminent, but I think it's imminent. Um, and then unless, you know, Kyrie gives in, I think it'll happen after the playoffs, but unless Kyrie makes it, you know, known to um, to Nets organization or to his agent that he, want, he wants out of Boston, then I think we likely see D'Angelo in the Nets uniform for, for the foreseeable future. And then I think that we might get a lesser tier free agent. I think Tobias Harris seems quite likely. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised with Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler. Uh, maybe a dark horse guy would be like a Chris Middleton. Like, I could see him being a really good fit with the Nets system. I think the Nets will have a better idea of what's going on by draft night. That's where, like we talked about, there's a lot of talk between agents, teams, whatever it may be. 
I mean, ideally, like I said, I want Kyrie and KD, and that's just a championship possibility going to next year. But I'm not going to be upset if they get any time, type of big free agent. And I won't even be upset with, like, if they don't and they just get all the big meetings and they end up kind of staying put or maybe signing, you know, somebody like a Paul Millsap to a one- or two-year deal or just kind of gradually improving in a small step. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of options out there, um, all of them positive in, in a lot of different ways. Um, Lekessen's just jumped into the, the chat, Nick. Um, a, a guy who's a free agent himself. What are your thoughts on Julius Randle as a net? Obviously, there's a connection with uh, D'Angelo Russell as being a former Laker. You go first on this one because I already know my perspective and I feel like Nets fans don't like it. Yeah, I feel like Nets fans won't might like mine either. I think, I don't think that he is the power forward that we need. I think, you know, I think that, yes, we could use size. Yes, he could play a small ball five. Um, I, I think that he also fits the timeline in, in terms of youth. So there are a lot of things that you, you give a tick to, to Julius Randle um, and maybe under coach Kenny um, you sort of give him even more ticks because he might improve his game in ways that we didn't see possible I don't think he's good defensively uh, I don't think he's a good three-point shooter despite the stats um, in terms of being sustainable but at the same time if we were to get him at a decent deal in terms of you know we were to strike out on some of these big name free agents we get him for three years 50 million dollars I'm just like that's not bad. Julius Randle's pretty talented. I think that's a value deal, similar to what, you know, sort of Nurkic signed with the, the Blazers in terms of a really team-friendly deal. It's not going to be the worst-case scenario, but it's not my plan A, B, C, or D. I think it's probably pretty low on the sort of spectrum. But at the same time, he has a lot of good things on his side, and, you know, he could easily prove me and us wrong in, this, in the fact of being a better defender. He's a great rebound. He's really tough. He's a really good body. Um, and being a three-point shooter... But at the same time, you know, you can only base off what you've seen so far in terms of his tenure as an NBA player. Yeah, I think this would probably be one player that I actually might be upset the Nets were to sign. Like, this is one guy where I'm just like, I really don't want him. I don't love the fit unless it's on a really tradable contract. Because I think long term, there's not really a fit for Julius Randle on an elite team, on like a contending team. And people be like, well, he was so good after All-Star break. Yeah, because the Pelicans were straight trash after All-Star break and they were tanking. His production wasn't as well when they were actually trying to win and make the playoffs. And you talk about the defense, like his defense has been an issue for a while. He's not a great pick-and-roll defender. Uh, you put D'Angelo and him in the starting lineup. Now other teams already can attack the Nets defensively right off the bat. So I'm not really huge on uh, Julius Randle, and I just don't really like the fit. Yeah, that's fair, obviously. Um... And you talked about the three-point shooting. Like, he's not a great three-point shooter. He's, like, he's going to score inside. He'll give you something. And, like, as a small ball five, yeah, that's cool. But, like, you need a real five, too. And it's just, like, they have – I don't know. I'm just not a Julius Randle guy. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to jump into Nick's mentions, at OTG Nick. So <laughs> Feel free. I, I've been, like, dealing with that for a while because, like, I know a lot of Nets fans were preferring Julius Randle over Nikola Miritich at the deadline. And to me, Nikola is such a better fit. I'd rather sign Miritich this offseason than Julius Randle. Yeah. Um, but we will get to the Russell and the weed <laughs> um, incident. Nick, is this a non-story? This is a non-story. This is, like, the... I hate to say, the dumbest shit I heard all week. Like by the time fun, I like it, it's fun because there has been no like criticism towards D'Angelo Russell. It's just been a fun, weird discussion. It's like, yo, by the time D'Angelo Russell retires from the NBA, weed will be legalized in the United States recreationally. So it's Ooh, not like it's a take. I like that hot weed take. <laughs> we take. Yeah. I mean, like it's already happened in the United States in a lot of places, at least medicinally. And then like, I know in the Northeast recreationally, it's popping like Connecticut just did it recently. I know Massachusetts, New York is probably going to be next. Like 
I don't think it's a big deal. I think the one thing you look at is D'Angelo, like, bro, you got to be way smarter than that. That was just like a dumb thing to do. Why? First off, you're going to Kentucky. You, it's your hometown. If you're, it's a place you can be able to get weed, it should be your hometown. If you can't, then I don't know. You probably haven't been smoking that long as it is. Secondly, you're trying to hide an Arizona can, which you can't take liquids on the plane. And, and you know, I'm familiar with these fake containers. They have other ones that are not liquids. So, you know, get another one. You got plenty of money. You're about to sign the biggest contract of your life. Ask one of your friends. Ask your brother to do it. Like, he's not going to catch as much shade as you are for doing it. You're an all-star now. You know that you have a big fan base. Like, just overall, it was a dumb move for him. That's, like, the one thing I take out of it. I don't really care about the weed. You know how I feel about that. So, like, it's just dumb. Look, I've, I've got a couple of thoughts on this. One, you can't take liquids, obviously. <laughs> but you can take the container. Like, I always, on any flight that I take, I'll always have a giant water bottle yeah. that I'll empty because it costs, like, $8 to buy a freaking, like, Evian water. Yeah. So, like, maybe he was trying to be tricky in that and there was no actual liquid in it and it was an empty can. And then the TSA guy just goes, why is this making a rattling sound? And then he just sees and it's like, okay, well, then we know what this is. Let's let's throw it through the x-ray. And um, it probably was like a small ass amount of weed because you can't stuff a lot of weed. Ounces. Less yeah. than two ounces. Yeah. But it, so, like, so an ounce is a, a lot of weed. Like I'm saying he probably had a couple grams to fit in the Arizona can. Yeah. Like they're not big. It's usually like literally this much of the can is like hollow. Yeah. Um, but I think as well, the dude needs to fly out of JFK, man. Like, get out of LaGuardia, my dude. Go it's to Westchester. Like- go to, like, a small airport. Hit up one of your rich friends and take a private plane. Then you don't even have to worry about it. Yeah, and I, I think that's what a lot of people have said, that it's just, like, he he's so used to flying private. It's just, like, he's used to taking on whatever he wants and just doing whatever he uh, – it's just, like, he just didn't necessarily think. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I would say – over 50% of the NBA players would be smoking in some form of capacity. Um, I think that smoking weed is more beneficial than pain smoking painkillers pain and also smoking like cigarettes. I think yeah. that there's benefit you can get out of it in, in a lot of different ways, but that's a discussion for another day. But this is, and like Woj said, this is not going to change anything in terms of, you know, his status within uh, the Brooklyn Nets and his status with, as a free agent overall. But um, it's just, it's a weird story. Yeah, it is. And it's funny. I think the fact is the NBA is so much farther ahead than other sports leagues that they really just don't care about weed. Like if you're talking the NFL, like you've seen guys getting a ton of trouble for that. Josh Gordon, I know you're probably not familiar with that, but some of the fans might be like nothing's really going to happen to D'Angelo. Maybe at most he suspended one game. Maybe he has to pay a huge fine in court and do community service, which he probably does anyway. So overall, not a big deal. You just got to be smarter, D'Lo. Apparently, the sign that, according to New York State penal law, it's a violation which carries a penalty of a fine up to a hundred dollars. <laughs> so, like, I, you- I think it might be a little bit worse because it was at an airport. That's the only thing I can think of. Because if you, if he were to do that in just like regular New York and have like a small amount, they might just give him the ticket and take the weed. The fact yeah. it was at the airport makes it a little bit worse because it's he, like technically trafficking. He wasn't arrested. He yeah. was he was charged with the summons as well, so I think that's part of the reason why. But um, we'll end with um, his very good friend, who he spent New Year's with, Jared Dudley. A bit of free agency news around him, um, and the fact that he's considering Boston, Sacramento, Charlotte, and Atlanta. Um, Jared Dudley leaving Brooklyn. How does this make you feel, Dink? I, I honestly, I just feel like this is the weirdest rumor about. A, no offense to Jared Dudley, of a player of his caliber getting like NBA rumors at what is it, early May, like the first week of May or late April, it was. 
I mean, I don't really buy much into it. Maybe it's just those teams having interest or maybe his agent kind of spreading a rumor like, oh, he's a veteran they need. I think Boston makes a lot of sense. They could have used a guy like Giardelli to kind of mesh them together a little bit. And you mentioned Atlanta. Obviously, a lot of young guys in that team. Charlotte, I'm not really sure. And what was the fourth team? Uh, Atlanta. All right, Atlanta. Yeah, so, I mean, a young team kind of getting them together. Nothing uh, – I'm, I'm not really buying much into it. Jared Dudley's going to be the guy that gets signed a couple weeks after free agency unless one of the young teams really want him the first week. Yeah, and I mean, Kyrie having said during the season that they needed vets. Jared Dudley's been the, the consummate veteran uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, in terms of likelihood, Nick, what's your percentage feel at this stage of Jared Dudley returning to the Brooklyn Nets? Hmm. That's a great question. I think Dudley, you know, he's concerned about himself, but he seems like he really likes New York and he liked the Nets organization. Uh, give me like 40%. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably go 45, a little bit higher. I'm, I don't he's know the why. cheapest of the three vets. Yeah, he, he quite easily is because he's in the, the tail end of his career and probably is the, the, the worst player out of those three, um, but he can still add value. Um, he, you know, lost a lot of weight going into the preseason for us as well. But um, I think that all those teams would be pretty happy to have him. I think he would be the least valuable on Boston. I think he just wants to go there because I think he went to college there. Sacramento, yep, yeah. College. Yep, Sacramento, he can add some value in a similar way that he did with the Nets, you know, sort of be that vet because we saw the the impact that Amon Shumpert had there. You know, I think that he should have stayed there and why they made that trade was uh, a little bit silly. Charlotte, maybe if, you know, it entices Kemba to stay long-term, um, possibly, and Atlanta, you know, in a, in a very similar sense to what the, the Nets are doing. And obviously, you know, the fact that Coach Kenny has ties to Atlanta as well, he might speak highly, um, uh, even more highly of him if he were to go to, you know, his former team. So um, I'll, I'll probably go, yeah, similarly with 45%. But um, was there anything else you, you wanted to touch on? No, I think we pretty much covered thing. Uh, anybody in the listening or viewing the show, if you got any questions for us, you can hit us up right now. Like we talked about, there's a lot of storylines. I think the biggest one we're going to talk about is retaining D'Angelo or the possible free agent that they can sign. There'll be plenty of buzzes to recap that. There'll be plenty of buzzes to recap individual player seasons, the season as a whole. Um, we'll be doing some live ones. Lots of buzzes happening. Maybe some cheeky little merchandise happening. We might yeah. see you. We'll have to wait and see about that one. I'm going to let you know. Nick will obviously be on top of that one. And um, new JBT coming out today as well. Yeah, check out new JBT, NBA outlet dropping next week. A lot of great pods on the OTG network. Like Jack mentioned, I don't know if he even was on this show. We were recording back-to-back. There's a lot of great draft content, too, preparing for the NBA draft on OTGBasketball.com. I know myself, like, I don't watch college basketball all year, but we have some excellent writers that will kind of inform you. They do a great job informing you how a player is going to fit in the NBA, not as much about what they did in college. And I think that's what we all want, being NBA fans. Um, Will's quickly jumped in, Nick. Would you rather bring back DMC or Ed? We had this question in relate. We sort of talked about this question a little bit. Um, did, did the playoffs change your mind? Um, I think I'd rather have Ed just because. At, yeah, I'd you originally Ed. picked Damari first and I picked Ed. Yeah, so I think I'd rather have Ed because, you know, I think Damari obviously is waning a little bit. Ed, I still think, has can do the same thing he did this season, next season, uh, because his role isn't as great. Um, whereas I think Damari is probably on the, the tail end. And I think that, but you need to have as well, if you're picking Ed, you need to have a third big, you know, an, an Enos Cancer or a Tyler Zeller or these sort of types just to have in, you know, break um, glass in case of emergency because... You know, the Nets got found out a little bit for having that lack of big depth and having to play Rondé and Jared Dudley at times. So, obviously, 
you know, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't be adverse to bringing back Damari either. And maybe that playoff blip was just uh, a blip on the radar. But um, it's just, uh, 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 Ed Davis, it's going to be interesting to see what the market is for him because Ada SL has just jumped in, you know, our thoughts on him. You know, other bigs, I think we'll go more in depth onto the free agency market, who's available. We've talked about it in, in, in little spurts, but as it gets closer to July and the draft, There'll be plenty of content coming out with that. Obviously, we'll let you guys interact as always because it's the most fun um, when that's the case. But hopefully, Ed Davis is a book on that going forward because he endeared himself to fans with his on and off court play. And I think the one thing about Ed, Ed can match up against a, a top tier uh, competition a little bit better than, you know, Damari. Like, Damari's not going to be able to lock down threes and fours where Ed can kind of hold his own. You know, we saw him against Joel Embiid. He wasn't great where he didn't get abused, where you saw Damari wasn't necessarily amazing going against Jimmy Butler or Tobias Harris. And I think it's a little bit easier of a role for Ed Davis. And I think where Damari plays is the major area the Nets are looking to upgrade. Yep. And I think that's a, a really good point and, and something to look at going forward. But I'm looking forward to all the future buzzes as much as recording this one. We're already looking forward, but it's always fun. Yeah, I mean, I've never been more pumped to record for agency pods than I have this year because there's a real opportunity for the Nets to sign a big name. But Jack, always a pleasure. And big thanks to everybody for listening, viewing, whatever it may be all year long. And like Jack said, continuing through the offseason. Content you guys want, let us know. And that merch should be coming soon, so keep an eye out for that. Check us out, iTunes, Bob Talk Radio, OGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.